Comic Book Time Machine, Episode 109, Comic Book Grab Bag Part 3, the third one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and you know what? I just think Comic Book Time Machine is the podcast for recording in strange places. Sometimes now, I am not recording in a place that's much stranger than some other podcasters. I know podcasters, or I know of podcasters, who record regularly from their car. And I record regularly from my car, but usually my car is moving, but today... I'm in my parked car in a parking lot because I'm waiting for my son to get done with a meeting. And I thought to myself, while I'm waiting, it's not a very comfortable place for me to, you know, actually just spread out and start writing, uh, you know, typing on my computer. Um, but I could read comics and I could record about what I read. And I only need my phone and my microphone now because I have this nifty little iRig pre is what it's called and i love this little device because of what it lets me do just with my phone uh it's it's revolutionized my life so to speak but here's what i'm doing and i don't know how i'm going to be able to do this by holding a microphone in one hand but i'm going to give it a shot uh i'm doing one of my comic grab bags that's right i have in my grubby hand not hands uh a bag and i asked my friends matt anderson Evan David, Daniel Butcher, um, Comic Book Time Machine, friends, uh, which grab bag I should open because I have a couple of them now. Uh, apparently, Target is not selling them at our local Targets anymore. So the $6 grab bag with four comics in the poly bag, I am happy that I bought a few over the summer. Um, whenever I go to Target, I find find where they had them, choose one. And I thought I'd be opening them much faster than I did. But that means it's nice because I have them stashed away, kind of like that Cadbury Easter egg that I still have in the freezer right now waiting for me to eat it. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure when I'm going to get around to eating it. I mean, we've gone through the summer and Easter has come and passed and summer has come and passed. And now we're going into autumn. In fact, that's why I'm here at this parking lot is my son is getting seasonal help at a place that does like a corn maze and, uh, um, you know, pick your own pumpkin. And I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a go-kart track. That's like these really slow, uh, three wheel go-karts and a slide and a, a inflated pillow thing that like you jump on. And it's fall, and I've still not eaten that last Cadbury Easter. Uh, I call it Cadbury Easter cream egg. I don't think it's called that anymore. I don't know if it ever was called that. I just remember it being called that when I was a kid. Um, but anyway, now I have also a stash of these uh, these comic book grab bags that I bought at Target over the summer. And for those of you who said, I'm going to try and get one from Target, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that they aren't there at mine anyway, the, the two local targets that I have, they aren't, they don't have them anymore because they move things around uh, for new stock and um, re redesigned the, the layout for the toy section. So yeah, moment of silence 
Okay, that's enough. This is a podcast. We don't want our moments of silence to last too long. But um, I asked my friends, Matt, Evan, Daniel, what one should I open tonight? And my friend Matt chimed in and said, ooh, do the one with Spider-Man and Fantastic Four because that looks like 90s-tastic fun. And Evan suggested something else and Daniel didn't say anything. So... I'm, I went with Matt's first suggestion since he was the first one to chime in. And so I'm holding in my hands a poly bag. It says comics, collectible comics. And on the other side, it says four out of print originals. Uh, yeah. And on one side, it's Fantastic Four Unlimited guest starring Black Panther. Issue number one from March. Don't know the year yet. And it has a picture of Reed Richards with a giant back pack and huge gun and uh, Sue Storm is wearing her bathing suit uniform and uh, Ben Grimm it's the style when they draw him it looks more like scarring on the rock than like a whole bunch of different you know rocks with crevices between them and then uh, Johnny Storm just looks like Johnny Storm there's a jungle in the background and Black Panther he's he's there too and yeah appropriate I mean we've got a Black Panther movie coming out and I just went and saw the Inhumans uh, IMAX experience and saw the Black Panther trailer on the IMAX screen looked good. Didn't look as good as Thor Ragnarok. Man, that looked gorgeous on that screen. I might have to go and see it in my IMAX. I say I might have to. I'm wrong. I, I won't. I know I won't. But uh, Spectacular Spider-Man is on the other side, and it has uh, Spider-Man fighting, uh, and it says Doctor Octopus, armed and dangerous. But it's a woman. I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything about a female Dr. Octopus. This is also from March. This is uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number 232. It's a different different style on the cover, so I'm pretty sure it's not the same year. This one's interesting because it's Marvel, and the Marvel um, insignia says Spider-Man group on it, which is uh, interesting to me. But anyway, um, I don't remember what attracted me originally to this um but this is one this is probably one of the earlier ones that i bought earlier in the summer i might have even gotten this last spring but i'm about to open it up and i apologize in advance if it sounds weird because i'm gonna have to use both hands which means the bag is going to come close to the microphone but that just means you get to be closer to the experience as i open this up because there are two more comics inside this bag what are they i don't know i only know the front and the back you can see the front and the back and now i'm about to tear open the top There's the top. Hear that crinkle? All right, taking out Spectacular Spider-Man. And behind Spectacular Spider-Man is... Whoa, that is interesting. ElfQuest, issue number two from September 1985, published by Marvel's Epic Comics imprint. Wow, interesting. All right. And then take out the oh wow this fantastic four unlimited is a hefty hefty little comic book tome here this is gonna take a little while to read but yeah definitely 90s as i flip through it don't think i'm i'm not expecting to enjoy that so much uh oh cool commandy commandy camandy commandy commandy at earth's end issue number one june 93 part one of six and it has an Elseworlds imprint. It says, the boy of tomorrow is back to kill the man of tomorrow. And boy, you want to talk about 90s giant guns? 
Commandy is coming out of a manhole in the middle of a destroyed city with a huge uh, plume, uh, just smoke clouds behind him. Um, oh, it says control factory, but control is spelled with a K. So that suggests maybe there's some sort of uh, you know, communist thing. And I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> this commandy has some pretty enormous guns, even bigger than Reed Richards guns, I have to say. So those are the four comics I'm going to be reading while I'm waiting for my son. And after I read each one, I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about them. And um, I usually try and uh, do my last bite theory here. I'm going to start with the, the one that I think I'm going to enjoy the least and try and end with the one I think I'm going to enjoy the most. And the only thing I regret is that the one I think I'm going to enjoy the most is ElfQuest issue number two. I wish it was a number one. That'd be even more interesting. But... I'm going to start with, honestly, I'm going to start with Fantastic Four Unlimited because I think I'm just going to, that's probably the one I'm going to enjoy the least. From Fantastic Four Unlimited, I'm going to read Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, Commandy at Earth's End, I'm really curious about. That one looks like I might not like it. But if it's part one of six, and this kind of goes into the Professor Allen uh, Quarterbin podcast theory of if you're going to just get one issue of a multi-part series, then you want issue one or you want the final one. Generally, issues two and three you don't want to get in a in a limited series. If this is interesting enough, I mean, this is issue one of six. I The question I'll be asking is, do I want to read the, the entire series? So will this issue one cause me to want to read the entire series? And then ElfQuest, which ElfQuest has a a long history. It's, a, it's one of those uh, fantasy comic book series that has not just a long history. I mean, it has an honored history. And so I'm, I'm very curious about that, but I think I'm going to end with that one. So Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Commandy, and then ElfQuest. So this is how it works. I read it, I'll talk about it, and then I'll shut off the recording and read the next one and talk about it, shut off the recording, read it, talk about it, shut off the next one. And we will see was this money well spent? And this whole grab bag thing, this is something I love doing, I enjoy doing. And I was actually very honored to hear that Professor Allen on the Quarterman podcast, his issue 100 series of episodes, um, I was one of a couple different people who inspired him in the way he did that issue 100. And it was very uh, fun to hear him uh, and what he did with that. And I'm not going to give it away because it's really interesting what he did with his episode 100 and how he did it and what he ended up the, because for him on the Quarterman podcast, he doesn't spend more than a quarter on the comics that he talks about. Now he buys comics for more than a quarter every, you know, once in a while, um, he has to swallow the bile as he does so. Uh, but he does every once in a while. But the Quarterman podcast specifically is these cheap comics that he's bought. And he found a great deal on some comics in a similar type of situation to what I'm doing right now with a grab bag. But they cost less than a quarter. And you will be amazed with how many he got and how cheap he got them. And then as he goes through this set of comics that he has, um, he brings on guests and they talk about, you know, was it worth it or not? And that's the question I'll be asking too, is did I get $6 worth of enjoyment out of these four comics? And, you know, the cover price of these comics together, um, let's see, 
Commandi plus ElfQuest, uh, 125 and 75 that's two, two bucks right there. $3.95 cover price on that Fantastic Four un- Unlimited, so we're up to six bucks there. And then cover price of a dollar, so we're at $7.50 cover price, but will I enjoy it enough to feel like I got something good out of this bag? Well, we'll just have to wait and see, but right now I'm going to stop recording, and then I will come back in a moment having read Fantastic Four Unlimited and also having eaten a little snack. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Okay, so, um, <laughs> are you ready for a plot twist? Uh, this is 93, 1993, March, 1993, the cover date. I don't have Mike's amazing world, uh, in front of me to be able to look at it, but the first page of this comic is the thing piloting something. He says, what a revolt and development this is. And then I see that this issue is written by Roy Thomas with pencils by Herb Trimpey. Mike DiCarlo is the anchor. And suddenly I'm thinking what has happened? I, my expectations have been turned upside down and I start reading and there's banter and you know, they're crashing cause they were uh, heading to visit black Panther and they were attacked as they were flying in. And yeah, then they find out that there's these bad guys with cool, crazy armor. And, and then the bad guys, the armor, you know, you just, you punch them like the thing punches them. They just bounce and they don't even, you know, feel it. Well, then it turns out, uh, Reed Richards figures out that the armor is made of sound. And so Black Panther comes with his, uh, what did he call them? Black Panther posse, something like that. But he comes and rescues, no, just the Panther posse. And they're all dressed in red, but they have kind of these cool, cool uniforms, with lots of pouches. And they attack and they have vibranium uh, knives and they use that and it pops the the sound. It turns out that, Black Panther's old nemesis claw is is at the the bottom of all this, and he's using sound to attack. And um, so, after his mercenaries fail, he decides he himself is going to go and attack them. And he, he attacks them with his old school uh, animals, sonimals, son sonimals, I think is what he calls them. Uh, but they're these old school animals that he used to use, and he's using that to distract the Fantastic Four because he's going after Black Panther. And they shoot him with a gun that Black Panther and and uh, Mr. Fantastic built. It's the gun from the front cover. And it stops the attack from the animals. But then these other sound things come out. And it's sound things coming from the tortured mind of a man who's been uh, hit by this gun. <laughs> and, and it's creatures, wild, crazy creatures that are coming out of his claw. And they're attacking everyone. And um, they know it, when as soon as he dies, this will stop. And so, but Black Panther picks him up and he's asking for people to kill him. He wants to be killed. He's dying. 
Black Panther takes him, runs him into the vibranium mine where all the sound gets absorbed and it saves Claw's life, even though Claw was the man who killed Black Panther's father. And Black Panther should want to kill him. And, and it's a big deal. After it all happens, it's a big deal. Why did you do that? And he's, because it's the right thing to do and I trust the law, blah, 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 blah. And actually the story itself was not half bad. I was really finding myself enjoying the story except for one thing. As I read along, I realized this is not Herb Trimpey. This is not looking like Herb Trimpey. It's Herb Trimpey doing the artwork, but honestly, this artwork stunk. Uh, I hate to say it, but it felt like, I don't know if, if Mike DiCarlo messed it up with the inking or if it was actually Herb Trimpey actually trying to do Rob Liefeld. Uh, it just doesn't work. And the facial expressions and the lines and the hatching and everything, I mean... I'm looking at the man, Herb Trimpey, his artwork, and I'm not seeing any of the just passion and talent and, and power of a Herb Trimpey comic book. Instead, I'm seeing what looks to me like a classic master of comic book artwork trying to do the hotness, the new hotness, and it just does not, it does not work at all. And I was, I, I'm reading this through and I'm just thinking this is, this should be so much better and it could be so much better. And the crazy creatures are crazy and they're cool, but they're fighting just these distorted weird faces. And, and it's not just Mr. Fantastic who has these distorted weird faces. It's everybody. It's everybody. Now there's a backup story. That's a tale of the blank of the black Panther. And that has a more classic look to it. Uh, it's by an artist named uh, Dave Hoover, who I don't know who that is. Um, and Charles Bennett did the inking on that, but, uh, I love the artwork on that. But then the story also by Roy Thomas, but the story is about how black Panthers fought a grandfather fought a German officer's name, Clau, who, when he's defeated by black Panthers grandfather, he then says, uh, I will destroy you. And if it, if I don't, my infant son will. And his infant son is Ulysses Claw because they Americanized his name after the war was done, after World War II. And so that story disappointed me, but the art was really good. And, and the other story I liked, but the art was not great. So I, I did, I mean, I was genuinely surprised when I opened up that first splash page. It just... But then I look closer at it. And other than the thing, you know, the other characters behind him, and they have these weird angular faces... And it just, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'm not familiar with Herb Trimpey's art in, you know, like the 90s. But this is definitely Herb Trimpey trying to do, trying to do art that looks like it comes from the 90s. And it's long. It was long. It, it was, I mean, the, the final page count, including ads, but the final page count, including ads, is, uh, you know, around 60 pages. I didn't count how many pages of ads there were, but... Whew. All right. Well, uh, surprise, but at the same time, disappointment. So next we have the Spectacular Spider-Man, number 232. Let's see what we get out of this one. I hope it's more. I'm not holding out hope. Warlord Worlds a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, 
including Warlord, John Sable, Star Slayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. Join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. Okay, so uh, twist number two. This one wasn't that bad either. This was from, oh, I didn't get the date. There it is. March 1996, and there was ads for the Marvel Ultraverse stuff from Malibu that they when they bought Malibu. It made me feel a little sad, but I got over it. And <laughs> this issue is there's a whole lot of stuff going on in this. Uh, this is a clone episode. This is Ben Riley, who used to be Peter Parker, who is the original. Peter Parker and Peter Parker is not the original Peter Parker because of the whole clone saga, but he's married to Mary Jane and Mary Jane is very pregnant in this. And they, um, they're visiting Ben and as they're visiting Ben, they're finding out that there's uh, a guy who had helped them find out that Peter Parker wasn't the original clone, that Ben Riley was actually the original clone. That guy apparently is de- dying in a hospital because he's his consciousness is in the virtual cyber world. And his daughter, who is Dr. Octopus, wants to get his, his body so he can never reconnect. And she wants to you know kill him. Uh, so she's trying to get him out of the hospital. But he's able to connect with uh, Ben Riley's television and give him the message as Ben Riley is um, getting ready to go on a date with his girlfriend, and then Ben Riley suits up as Spider-Man because he is Spider-Man because Peter Parker has lost his powers. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I was able to figure out most of what was going on from context clues and also from the fact that I kind of know what happened during the Clone Saga. But there was all sorts of stuff going on here that if this had been my first Spider-Man comic ever, I would never have picked up another Spider-Man comic. <laughs> ever and uh so while you know the whole black panther connection was kind of neat and and fun and interesting uh for me especially with the black panther movie coming um this one with the dr octopus as a woman i mean the movies you never see that if you pick this up thinking dr wait a minute what how is she related is this dr octopus's daughter no it's this guy who's in the hospital it's his daughter and yeah, it's just, there's a whole lot of weirdness going on. However, it wasn't terrible. I, I'll say this. It wasn't terrible. Now, if I was on the Quarterman podcast, which I'm not, but if I was, and this was only a quarter, you know what? I, I not bad, but uh, so far I've got kind of, if I'm just doing a, a thumbs up or thumbs down on these, I've got a thumbs down on both of them. Um, if I was doing like a five star rating on these, I'd give them both a, a solid two and a half stars or, or three. Um, this one, because it's not terrible, but there's so much soap opera. There's so much stuff you need to know about that's from before that you just, it, it would be almost impenetrable uh, to know what was going on. 
and and they don't take the time to really explain much of what's going on. The interesting thing, the most interesting thing, is that there apparently was a skeleton that was found wearing a Spider-Man costume that might have been a third clone. And I don't know if that's actually you know something to do with Kane or whatever, but there's tons of clones that came out of this whole clone saga. That the clone saga comes out of a like a, two or three issues from the '70s where the Jackal. Um, created a clone of Spider-Man and it turns out he then uh, they retconned that story to have lots more clones and um, anyway man <laughs> I'm going to read Commandy at Earth's End right now I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to record about it before my son gets back and we'll see uh, so this episode may not be entirely recorded in my van but I'll do as much as I can and then uh, you know, I'll do a little bit more at, at home maybe in the comfort of my own office or living room but that is Spectacular Spider-Man number 232. And, oh, I didn't even talk about the artwork. It's 90s-tastic, which means I hated it. <laughs> um, I'm really grumpy about 90s-style uh, artwork. And just the the way that the tendencies to, for 90s-style artwork went with the uh, just body shapes and angles and and just the way things work as far as um the anatomy of 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 the bodies and just the poses that they're able to take that don't even look semi-realistic you know because there's there's an element of in comic book artwork where you can go beyond realism and you can you can exaggerate the realism but in the 90s, it, it just, yeah. And Dr. Octopus, her costume, especially when you're talking about her chest, it is just awful. It is on this cover. Ugh. Ugh. By the way, she's wearing a trench coat, and apparently she's able to hide all of her tentacles for her extra forearms in that trench coat. And when it bursts out, I don't know where the mass comes from to allow these tentacles to go as as I need to stop complaining about this. Let me read a comic. It's Kamandi at, at Earth's End. Uh, Tom Vetch is the uh, the writer. And that also, I mean, the 90s-ness of this cover. Ugh. But, you know, the it's it's June 93. I mean, all this is the 90s except for ElfQuest. So maybe I'll be cleansing my palate with some 80s fantasy. But for now, I'm going back to 90s giant guns. Here we go. 50 years ago, Southeast Asia became a home away from home for 2 million Americans as they fought in the biggest, the longest, and most controversial conflict their nation had known since the war between the states. Old enough to kill, but too young to vote. This is their story. Stan Lee presents The Nom. <laughs> Join me, Tom Panneries, as I bring you an issue-by-issue issue look at The Nam, the Marvel Comics series that documented the lives of troops in the Vietnam War. Each episode covers one issue of the comic, as well as the history of the war, and I also take the occasional look at movies, music, television, novels, and other culture of the Vietnam War. New episodes drop every two weeks at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. Learn, we'll learn. 
Okay, Commandi at Earth's End, number one of six. Tom Tom Vetched is the uh, the writer. Frank Gomez is the artist. And if I had to describe the artwork, I would say that this felt like a combination of 90s style art and cartoon style art, like you know, like Looney Tunes, uh, Bugs Bunny comic book maybe, and heavy metal. And it all generally speaking, works for me. Um, the cartoonishness of it, and, you know, I was complaining about, you know, anatomy and and uh, and that kind of thing with the 90s style from Spider-Man and definitely, ugh, from uh, Fantastic Four Unlimited. Here, the exaggerated anatomy works. I mean, as the characters are standing there, you know, the uh, Commandy's feet are way too big for his legs and his legs are very skinny for the rest of his body, but it's a style, that I can go with. And I don't know if it's just because I'm more familiar with the language of that kind of cartoonish style. Um, but the nineties style just never became a language of art for me. And, and that might be part of my problem with it. Um, the story itself is very rushed. I felt, I felt like there's a lot of stuff to get through to just get the story started, but felt good. And there's an element of, well, there's a lot of elements from other stories that I'm seeing here. But basically, uh, as usual with Kamandi, uh, this is not the same as far as like it's in the future where there's no humans except for him because he's the last boy on Earth. And uh, it's all like animal people, which I like that. I like those stories when I've read them. I'm not I haven't read all of them. Um, but you know, this is a character created by Jack Kirby basically so he could do Planet of the Apes. And I'm not being disparaging when I say that. That's just my my observation as I look at what I've, I've seen from it. Uh, but looking at this comic here, it's, it's more of a post-apocalyptic uh, world with, uh, with, with mutants, but not with mutants that look like animals, you know, uh, humanized animals. Um, so here's the deal. He's in a bunker. He knows he's in a bunker and he and a guy named Fixer are actually keeping up some sort of machinery that allows thousands of people to survive and live. But I get the impression that he lives in the bunker alone with Fixer. And so maybe it's because they're keeping things going uh, that allows other bunkers to survive. I'm not exactly sure how all that works. But the only other two people that he's really in contact with are Mother, which is a computer, and Carol, which is a virtual reality woman that he has sexual relations with. And this is one of the things that mother uses to keep him happy. Um, as she's trying to give him a mission, he just won't listen. He just doesn't want to listen because he wants to see Carol. Uh, but the mission that mother has for him is to go up above earth because she finally found the man. And who is the man? The man is the one who caused the second apocalypse. Well, meanwhile, you have these three alien type guys who their duty is to find the thing that caused the second apocalypse. And, I almost get the impression that those guys are looking for mother because they then, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So mother is doing everything she can to get commandy out of the bunker. First, she lets in some mutants and he has to fight them. And they're, they're just sloppy looking, um, mutant mutated humans. And then she actually starts putting poison in the air and it causes him to have to, he has to go out. He does not want to go out, but he has to go out. And it's, they even mention it, but it's, it's basically a second birth for him as he's being birthed into the world. And he comes up and it's New York city. 
And it's New York City that's been destroyed by that, like I said, that second apocalypse. And there's mutants above ground, but the mutants that are above ground are not the same kind exactly that he saw below ground because they can talk. And so he then has to fight them and they chase, they're coming after him and he finds a friend and his friend is named Zom and Zom, uh, says follow me (laughs) he says everything short of follow me if you want to live or come with me if you want to live but he he takes uh commandy back to his bunker which is not really a bunker it's up on a skyscraper and he has just all these weapons just tons and tons and tons of weapons that he's gathered to protect himself from these scavengers that that commandy just fought that's when the helicopter comes with these three alien guys who the guns don't do anything to them. They're e- able to easily take down Zom and Kamandi. And he says, okay, Kamandi, you're going to come with me now because you're connected to mother. You have this computer thing that's connected to mother and that's what we want to do. We want to kill mother. We want to kill your mother. And there's just a lot of sci-fi elements that are going into this that are really, really interesting. And I am interested. I don't know if I'm going to like go and just jump on Mile High Comics right now tonight <laughs> and buy the other five issues of this um but all 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 things considered the sci-fi mixed with the style of art mixed with a script that actually reads well i'm very interested in finding out what happens after this so my expectation here is that i think i will eventually if i ever see this at a comic shop or if uh you know, I, I ever happen to go to a convention again. I just haven't been able to get to conventions because my job, um, you know, I work on Sunday mornings. I'm a pastor. Uh, my job causes me to have to work on Sunday mornings. But uh, if I ever do go to a convention again, I'll keep an eye out for for Commandi at Earth's End. I also might check out Amazon and see if there's a collected edition. But yeah, two thumbs down, one thumb up uh, if you're going to go with that. And if I was doing like a five-star rating on this, I would probably go with a, a 3.5 or, or even a four. Um, it's above average and, and I enjoyed it enough that I'm curious. I'm just not sure that I'm curious enough to really seek it out. Um, if I happen to come across it, I'll, I'll check out the other, the other chapters, the other issues, but yeah, uh, as that whole, uh, quarter bin first issue, last issue of a mini series thing goes, you're right, professor Allen, you are absolutely right. This was a good place. I don't know if I would have enjoyed chapter three of six as much as I enjoyed chapter one of six. But speaking of chapter two, uh, that's what I'm heading next is ElfQuest, September 1985, cover date, 75 cents cover price. ElfQuest by Wendy and Richard Penny. Penny? I never did. I never, I never even thought about how to pronounce their last name. But. ElfQuest, you know, I wrote a uh, comic book series that we had six issues. It was called Armor Quest, and the title was absolutely inspired by um, ElfQuest and Sword Quest from Atari, of all places, um, from when I was a kid and seeing this in the different catalogs and stuff. But Armor Quest, which started out not as a comic book, but I started out Armor Quest as a, uh, a possible um, card game. And, uh, that the whole idea was you were on a quest to gain pieces of armor. So, yeah. Well, I see my son, so I'm going to shut this down for now, and I'll come back to Alf Quest. It's midnight, the podcasting hour. 
Hello, listeners. It's your friend, PJ Frightful. That's PJ, as in podcast jockey. And I'm dropping dreadful new episodes every two weeks. When the clock strikes midnight, the podcasting hour shines a candle on the dark corners of DC Comics. Those supernatural sagas of Swamp Thing, Dead Man, The Spectre, and more. The Podcasting Hour. It's a rotating anthology series boasting the terrifying talents of Ryan Daly, Rob Kelly, Paul Hicks, Ben Avery, Doug Zavisha, and other unfortunate souls. Prepare for the unexpected, open a doorway to nightmare, and enter the houses of mystery and secrets. The moon is full, and the dark spirits are rising. For it's midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming this Halloween, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Beware. And so we come to the final portion, and I am no longer in my van. I'm at home. Um, But it's still the same evening, and I've... Still got those other three comics very, very clearly in my memory. But, well, let's talk about ElfQuest. ElfQuest, issue number two, September 1985. The cover has a band of elves, some of them riding wolves, all under the heat of a hot sun as they travel across a very desolate-looking desert. And the story itself... Does not start there, but does indeed go there. And I just have to say, I mean, you know, I I could try and keep judgment for the end, but I'm not going to. Uh, My theory of the last bite, I've talked about this before, I'm sure, but my theory of the last bite is when I eat a meal, you know, that's why we have dessert. Dessert is that sweet thing at the very end of the meal. And for me, you know, I'll look at a piece of pizza, a slice of pizza, and I just, I have this ability to look at the slice of pizza and determine the best bite, the placement of the best bite. And I will eat around that bite until I get to that last bite. And then I will eat it. And it will be the last thing that I eat of that pizza. And it's good. It's good. Today I had a bacon cheeseburger at a new restaurant uh, where I went with some of my colleagues from work. And I did that. I ate that burger. And as I eat, I examined to see which bite should I not take because that looks like it's the perfect last bite. And I'm not going to lie. I determined the best last bite and it was very, very good. I mean, the whole burger was very good. This is a restaurant I didn't even know existed in this small town where I work, but it was a very, very good burger. And so as I open this bag of comics and I'm looking at the, f- the four choices, and I'm trying to determine what is going to be the last best bite. I don't think I could have chosen better. I mean, it, it was. It was the, the, the one that I thought it would be. Commandy, if I had done that last in ElfQuest before, might not have been as much of a problem. I mean, it, it would have been a close second. Uh, but ElfQuest that I just read right now, was really a very fun read. The style of fantasy art that ElfQuest is is 
it's very much, it feels like it comes from the seventies and it feels like, um, you know, I had this book, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called dragon world or something like that. And it had these hobbit hobbit ish elf characters in it. And there were illustrations in it. And I loved those illustrations. I don't know where that book ended up. I bought it at a used bookstore my freshman year in college and read it once. And then some, somewhere along the line, I got rid of it and I wish I hadn't because it was very good. Uh, and this one, you know, you have, you have these elf characters who have, um, uh, a very well thought anatomy as far as it's, it's the same throughout. Um, they have uh, kind of human sized heads that are a little bit, uh, like adult human heads that are a little bit cartoony and roundish. And then they have these shorter bodies and these stocky bodies, but they're not really short and stocky like a Tolkien uh, dwarf would be. Um, the proportions are are human-like, but small human. And so it's like a small human body with a regular-sized human adult head. Um, there's a cartoonish quality to it. In fact, there's trolls in this, and the trolls are very reminiscent of – you know, something from a Saturday morning fantasy cartoon. Um, but it doesn't feel out of place. Uh, now, there were no humans in this particular issue except for like one panel that had a flashback. But um, the other cool thing about this was this comic book very much so goes along the Stan Lee. Every comic is somebody's first comic. And this is not my first ElfQuest comic, but it's been years since I've read any ElfQuest comics. And I was reading them from a collection that I believe was like collecting all of the early self-published ones. And I don't know how this particular one fits into the the timeline with those ones that I had read uh, from the library, I'm, I'm thinking almost 20 years ago. But these, uh, it didn't matter because set up the story for me. Uh, the first page is a splash page and it has the wolves going into this uh, throne room in an underground cavern. And it tells me all I need to know. And then the next page, the second page goes through every single character that you're supposed to care about. <laughs> um, and they're coming before a troll King who is in charge of that land. And they're saying, you know, we helped you. And now the humans are burning our home. We need a place to stay as we are moving through to find a new home. We don't want your place, but we've helped you and, and you should give us some help. But uh, the the chief of this tribe of, of wolf riding elves is named Cutter. And he has a, a really hot temper. And he gets very angry at the chief when the chief is not very responsive and and the chief ends up saying, yeah, we'll help you. We'll take you to this cavern. We just want to get you out of our hair. And once you leave the, 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 ca the caves, you're going to find a place that you're going to love on the other side. And it's a trick. And it turns out that desert is on the other side. And the person that the, the troll, rather, that the king sent with them to guide them through the tunnels activates uh, a cave-in at the, the entrance of that tunnel and they're trapped in the desert and they can't go back. They can't climb the, the cliffs. They can't go around the cliffs, but, and this is one of those cool little elements that at first I didn't know what they were doing with it, but um, there's this round rock that was right in front of the, the troll King's uh, throne. And it had what they call the lodestone, which had fallen from the sky. And uh, one of them, um, uh, 
his bracelet gets stuck to it and and he has to pull it away and then Cutter's sword gets stuck to it and they have he has to pull it away and the one who's very interested in it is um let's see if I can find his name Skywise the stargazer kind of the you know the, the thoughtful scientific uh wonder filled one who just is very interested in the element that they're they're looking at here and he wants it. He's looking at it. The king, the troll king punches him. And then this is what uh, causes the troll king to try to trick them is Cutter hits it with his sword, breaks off a little piece of it and gives that to Skywise. And so now Skywise has this little piece of lodestone, but that's, you know, the the king basically feels he has been disrespected. And so he then sets them out on their way. And so Cutter's anger in that whole situation is interesting because the kind of the, the consequence for his anger, his burning rage is that they end up on this burning desert and uh, they have to cross the desert and it's days and it's days and it's days, but they use the lodestone because it's magnetic. They don't know that. They don't know what it means, but it's, it's magnetic and they put it on a string and they realize it's pointing back behind them at the tunnel and pointing ahead of them. They decide to follow it. And it's possible that it, you know, because it fell from the sky, but it's pointing at the North Star. And so they're thinking it came from that star, and that's why it's pointing at that star. And it's this good magic kind of thing that they're looking at. And so they're following it through the desert. One of, their, one of them is wounded, and he can't f- continue, and he has to stop in the middle of the desert. And then they keep following and following and following. And so half of the comic is dealing with, well, maybe a third of the comic is dealing with the troll and being in the, under the tunnels, which is this confined blue paneling uh it's it's really interesting because then once you get out of the tunnels you're in this hot bright uh yellow and brown uh panels and then at night it's cold again and it's this open wide blue panels and just the use of color and the use of um I mean, the, the art itself then gives you this kind of not quite claustrophobic in the tunnels and, and not not quite agoraphobic out in the uh, open areas, but it's really effective. It's really effective storytelling. And I mean, they're, they're going days and days and days and, and the transitions and the montage is also very, very effective. I mean, it's a good, good read. Now, is it a standalone read? Not really, because you start in the middle of a story but they give you all the background you need. The end is a splash page because they finally reach the mountains at the other end of the desert and they climb up some of the, the uh, some rocks on, on the mountain and it lets them, when they get to the top, they look down and they see elves uh, and that's the final splash page is that they see this settlement of elves and you know, so who knows what's going to happen to the wounded one who stayed behind and his wife, his life mate, as they call them, uh, stayed behind as well. Um, what What's the deal with that guy? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to him. And what's going to happen next when they go and see these elves? I don't know either. But while I end on a cliffhanger here, I feel satisfied. <laughs> and this comic is just the right kind of comic for me. I mean, it was just the right kind of 80s, uh, 70s fantasy. And I know that I've, like I said, I've read ElfQuest before. I like ElfQuest uh, from what I've read. Uh, This really makes me want to seek out more. 
so like Commandy kind of makes me want to seek out more. ElfQuest really makes me want to seek out more. And I believe there's been some recent reprinting of, I, I think like the whole thing. I, I think they might've done some omnibuses or something like that. I know that that's been a, a really nice trend recently is for some of these um, independent comics and Epic comics because Epic comics were published by Marvel, but they're published under contract where the creator still owned it. And <laughs> I say that out loud and <laughs> it's actually kind of hard for me to say because just today I received an email from an old publisher of a product, a project that I worked on that was mine. I created it and I went under contract with them to publish it and years ago and they came back just today finally answering some questions of mine that I had about doing some new stuff with that old product. Um, I shouldn't call it a product, but that old story and um, the contract, uh, their interpretation of the contract was not what I thought their interpretation was or was going to be. And uh, it's not something I can easily get back in my hands as of right now. And uh, so now just thinking about this epic contract and how <laughs> uh, they were able to re retain control of the, 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 uh, their creation. And that was something that was unusual at the time because if you created something in the Spider-Man comic, like, I don't know, a female Dr. Octopus, that's not yours. Uh, in fact, creating a female Dr. Octopus, you're creating just another Dr. Octopus that's already been created. And so you can't even claim creation of that particular character in general. And anyway, uh, yes. <laughs> As I was reading it, though, this came out during month four of uh, Secret Wars 2. And so we're, we're talking about 1985. And there's an ad in here that I remember seeing in my comics back then and, and now. But there's an ad for ElfQuest, and it's um, Bud Plant Incorporated. It's a fantasy and comic art uh, person, and he's on one of these uh, flea market pages he has half the page though and it says we've got the whole story elf quest books bring you the complete saga now in color five issues per book book books one two three four twelve ninety five each or get the whole set for forty five dollars get six assorted issues of the original black and white elf quest comic and save nine dollars for only nine dollar value for only eight dollars wendy peeney's classic characters take shape in detailed Lead die-cast die miniature figurines, five sets, $8 each, or all five sets for $38 and save. Use your figurines to play the ElfQuest game. Stalk the forest with your wolf friend as you replay the ElfQuest journey. Complete box game, only $20. Also available, a full line of ElfQuest t-shirts and the ElfQuest cap. Send $1 for complete details in our latest catalog jam, packed with more than 2,500 comic fantasy items. Free catalog with every order includes $2 shipping with, or include $2 shipping with your order. Oh, man. I remember seeing that, and that's what first piqued my interest about ElfQuest, was seeing that uh, half-page ad where all the text was there, but then also has the cast of the elves uh, across the page, and um, and they're silly and, you know, they're, they're dressed kind of in kind of a, a fantasy Native American style, uh, more so than what you would consider a traditional um, Lord of the Rings fantasy style. Um, but they, you know, the women are definitely meant to be cute and sexy and that kind of thing. Um, and the men 
are actually probably meant to be the same. I mean, they're all kind of wearing these, um, these outfits that show off their physique. Uh, and it's definitely a cartoony physique. So I guess, you know, if you like Betty Boop or whatever, you maybe like, like these, these characters, but, um, anyway, this, this was a, a joy. Uh, as you can tell, I've spent probably three, three times more talking about ElfQuest than I did about the Spectacular Spider-Man. But this was a lot of fun to read and the perfect one to end on, I must say. So the question is, was it worth the six bucks? Okay, so there's a couple parts to this answer. If I'm just talking about sheer joy, uh, this ElfQuest comic for 75 cents original cover price and the Commandi comic at $1.75 cover price. Six dollars for reading those two comics. I mean, that's three dollars each. I wouldn't pick these up for three dollars each from a back issue bin. I, I just I wouldn't. But I, I still like them. I like them a lot. Now, the other question is, or the other part of the answer, I should say, is I have fun talking about comics, and <laughs> so even reading ones I didn't really like that much. It's fun to talk about them. And if you have fun listening to me talk about them, that makes it worth it. So I guess I'm going to end it with that. And I'm just going to say this. Um, I just want to thank you for listening and for uh, enjoying my little journey into these grab bags. And I've got a few more left. Uh, when I say a few, um, I mean, that's more than just uh, one or two. I've got, I've got a handful more. And I also have one that I found that I started actually recording an episode and then never finished. I only recorded the you know half the episode about two of the comics, and I need to uh, finish that. So I've got more of these grab bags to come. But like I said, it's like that uh, Cadbury cream egg that I have in the freezer. I love the Cadbury cream egg. And the question is, how long can I just let it sit in there before it's no good to anyone? I don't know. But it's in there. I'm not touching it. Not in the near future anyway maybe at some point before christmas i don't know <laughs> anyway uh they're there and they're ready for me when i have another just hour of free time where it's just the right time to read some comics and talk about some comics so thank you very much for listening thank you for spending your time with me and i don't know uh that elf quest was just a lot of fun. I do have another, I have a graphic novel of weird world. That's the old weird world comics from the seventies. I think early eighties also, uh, done. I don't know if it's done by Epic under that contract, but it, it seems like it was done something like that. Cause they started in magazines though, in the late seventies. And yeah, there's a, after reading this elf quest, I'm like, ah, I want to read that now. <laughs> um, because I actually have that the elf quest stuff. I don't, but it also makes me want to just do a, another big, giant, fun fantasy story. And I, I have one that I've always wanted to do uh, that I was started working on with a comic book artist years and years and years ago. And he did some really cool um, uh, just initial character designs and stuff like that. But we never actually got around to doing the story. And I've been trying to figure out how can I do that story. And I've got some ideas. But this gets me just back into that mindset of, ooh, I would love to do this. So, yeah. Well, again, I've said it many times already this episode. But 
Thank you for listening. And no matter where your journey takes you, whether it's through the tunnels with the trolls or across a desert where you're dying of thirst, <laughs> that's really bad. That's a really bad situation. But if you're in that situation, literally or uh, metaphorically, uh, <laughs> as you're on your journey, Godspeed. Godspeed. 